First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. If you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, you turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. You know, it is hard to believe that it is already December the 9th, and in a little more than three weeks, 2018 will be over. It will be in the books, and we will ring in a new year together, 2019. And maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but it just seems like the years are going faster and faster. Uh, 2019 always seemed like a long, long time away. I'm going to have a a significant birthday in 2019 that's kind of been out there for some time. And at that point, I will no longer qualify as your young pastor. I will officially be your middle-aged pastor. And I've already begun preparing for that. I've gotten a haircut that will fit in nicely with, with that stage of life. But I mean, wow, 2019 is almost here but you know, when you, when you say what year it is, when you say it's, it's 2018 right now, or it's about to be 2019, what, what do we mean by that? We don't normally think about it, but what we mean is that it's been 2018 years since Jesus Christ was born. Dionysius in the 6th century was the man who first came up with this dating method of counting years upward from what he believed to be the birth Uh, of Christ, the year that he was born. Uh, Most scholars today believe that Dionysius was off by a few years and that Jesus was likely born between the years 4 and 6 BC. But be that as it may, um, still the event that we are counting up from, give or take a few years, is the birth of Jesus. And that is why in the Gregorian calendar that we have used in the West for the last 500 years, we put the letters A.D. before the year. And we say that we're living in the year A.D. 2018. And A.D. is an abbreviation for the Latin phrase Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. The full original phrase was actually Anno Domini Nostri, Jesu Christi, which translates in the year of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're saying when we say that it is 2018. It's been 2,018 years since Christ was born. To designate the years prior to Christ, we use the letters B.C. We say something happened, for example, in 425 B.C., and B.C. stands for before Christ. So again, we don't often think about that when we talk about the years, but, but Christmas is quite literally the dividing line of all of human history. The birth of Jesus, that event, is literally the dividing line on our calendars. It's the reason we say that it is 2018. Now, in recent years, it's become more popular in academic circles and in secular usage to use the initials BCE and CE, which stands for the Common Era, and before the common era, but the more I see that, the funnier that I think that is. Because you can change it and call it whatever you want, but the event that is the dividing line has still not changed. Jesus' birth is still what changed our calendar, what changed our history, and we're still numbering the years from the time 
that he arrived. But the point of this Christmas teaching series isn't just that the first Christmas changed our calendars. It's that the first Christmas still has the power to change your life and mine. Maybe you're already a believer in Jesus. Maybe your life has already been changed by meeting him in a personal way. And if so, then I just pray that we will grow together over the next few weeks in understanding what it means that Jesus came and that our worship of him would only increase this Christmas. But maybe you're here and you have not yet met Jesus. I'm praying that this Christmas you will and that your life will never be the same. Starting today and going until Christmas Eve, we're going to be walking verse by verse through the passage that's open before you in John chapter 1, what is called the prologue of John's gospel, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1. And this is a wonderful Christmas passage because it talks about how Jesus, the Word of God, in verse 14, became flesh and dwelt among us when he was born as a little baby boy and laid in that manger in Bethlehem. Today we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And we're going to see how Jesus' coming takes us from darkness and brings us into the light. Let's read it together. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have sent your Son, the life and the light of the world, that first Christmas. Father, we pray now that as we read your word, as we read about your Son, who is the light, that you would open our eyes to what that first Christmas means, that you would draw us closer to yourself, or that we might worship you today in spirit and in truth. As we read your word, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the verses that we just read are some of the richest in all of the Bible. I'm not exaggerating when I say that you could spend a lifetime considering uh, the words that we just read in these verses, and you would still not come to the bottom of them. And so certainly today, as we look at the first nine verses of this text, we'll just be skimming the surface of a body of water that is bottomless underneath us. But I pray that the Lord will use what we do see here in these verses today in our lives. And really today, I want us to think mainly about two main truths. And the first truth is one I've already mentioned, that everything changed in history when Jesus came into the world. But everything changed in history when Jesus came into the world. Again, that first Christmas, we went from B.C. to A.D., and the world would never be the same. And the reason the world would never be the same is because of who came into the world. 
And so what I want us to do is just to look at these verses and think about that. To think about who came that first Christmas and why his coming changes everything. And first off, John tells us that when that first Christmas came, the word came to us. Look with me at verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the Greek word that's translated word there is the word logos. Now, this word has probably been studied more than any other word in this passage. The word logos has deep roots in Greek philosophy. It was used even before the time that John wrote this letter to describe the principle or the logic behind all of the order that we see in the universe. It was used by another to speak about the world soul, as he called it, the one who framed and shaped the material world that we see. And so because the word logos shows up in ancient Greek philosophy, some people have argued, well, John was just kind of ripping off the Greeks here when he says this, and and so we can just kind of throw out uh, what John says in this verse, but nothing could be farther from the truth. What John was doing was what any good communicator should do. He was trying to connect with his audience. He was taking a concept that the Greeks were familiar with, the concept of logos, and he was instilling it and infusing it with an entirely new meaning, and he was applying it to Jesus. And in essence, what John was saying to the Greeks was, you think that there is something standing behind the universe, an an operating principle that gives order and shape to the universe, and actually, you're right about that. There is a logos, but the logos is not something. The logos is someone. And his name is Jesus. And you know that John is talking about Jesus when he uses that word logos there, the word in verse 1. Because if you look down at verse 14, he says, And the word, the logos, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. John is saying that Jesus is the logos. Jesus is the word. And by choosing that term, he's not only appealing to his Greek listeners and readers, he's also appealing to his Hebrew readers as well because they knew their Old Testament. And over and over in the Old Testament, you will read the phrase, the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came, and the word of the Lord did this, and the word of the Lord did that. And now John is saying the word of the Lord is Jesus. He says the word has come. And then he tells us a lot of important things about this word. He says, first off, this word was in the beginning. In verse 1, in the beginning was the word. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. Of course, when you read this phrase, if you're familiar with the Bible, your your mind can't help but turn back to the very first verse in the Bible. Genesis 1-1, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens in the earth, if you think about it, the Bible does not begin with an argument for God's existence. The Bible just begins by assuming the existence of God and stating it as a plain fact. In the beginning, God. God was already there. 
And what we read here is that this God who was already there before anything else existed, before the world was created, we're reading the same language as it's being applied to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ, that he also was there in the beginning before anything else was made. In other words, in eternity past, before the world was even formed, Christ was already there. Athanasius has famously said this about Christ. There never was a time when he was not. I love John chapter 8 when Jesus was telling the Jewish leaders that Abraham rejoiced to see his day. And they were scratching their heads about that and they said, what are you talking about? You're only 50 years old. Are you claiming to know Abraham who lived about 2,000 years before that? And then Jesus hit them with this in John 8, 58. Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, for one thing, he was using the covenant name of God, the name I am, and he was using that for himself. But then clearly, he's also here claiming to be eternal. A man who was 30 years of age, claiming to have existed prior to Abraham, who lived 2,000 years before that. He's saying that he is eternal as the Father is eternal, the Word which was in the beginning. But also, John tells us here that the Word was with God. Again, in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Verse 2, he was in the beginning with God. And again, he's painting this picture to us of how things were before the world was even here. And he's saying in the beginning, before creation had even happened, that God the Father and God the Son were there together. And as we read the rest of the scripture, of course, we know God the Spirit as well. And in fact, the word with there is, is a word that actually can be translated towards one another. That the Son was with the Father. He was inclined towards the Father. And the Father was inclined towards the Son. And what we see here is a beautiful picture of the intimacy and the fellowship that exists between the three members of the triune God that we worship. Later in John 17, Jesus would speak more about that in his prayer. And he would pray to the Father and he would say, Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world. Sometimes people will say, well, where do you see the Trinity in the Bible? Of course, we don't see the word Trinity anywhere in the Bible, but we see the concept everywhere. It's here in John chapter 1, and it's all over the gospel of John. Here we see in John's gospel that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are three persons of the Godhead who relate to one another in a deep, intimate fellowship that predates all of us, that goes back into eternity past. And the Bible also teaches that there is one God, the Trinity, three and one The Bible also teaches that each member of the Godhead is fully God. That's the next thing that John says. This word was not only with God, he says this word was God in verse 1. Again, sometimes people will say, well, where does the Bible say that Jesus is God? Well, it says it all over the place, but here is one clear example. This, this word, this word who in verse 14 took on flesh and dwelt among us, John clearly says in verse 1 that this word was God. Now there have always been some 
in the history of the church who have tried to deny that Jesus was fully God. There have always been some who have taught that Jesus was merely a creation of the Father, that he was not equal with the Father. The ancient Arians believed that and taught that. And today, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormon church carry on this false teaching as well. It's always important when someone tells you that they believe in Jesus too, to make sure that you are both talking about the same Jesus. If the Jesus they're talking about is not God, if the Jesus that they're talking about was not an in the beginning with the Father, if the Jesus they're talking about is not co-eternal, is not co-equal with the Father, then the Jesus they're talking about is not the same Jesus that the Bible presents to us. And that is a problem. Because if Jesus is less than God, then that Jesus cannot save you, and he cannot save me. Everything changed in history when Jesus came into the world, because the Jesus who came into the world was the Logos, the Word of God, who was in the beginning with God, and who was with God, and who is God. But John also tells us here that when Jesus came into the world, our Creator came. That our creator was entering his own creation. Look with me at verse 3. He says, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. All things made through him. That he is the agent of creation. The one through whom the work of creation was carried out. And it's not just here in John 1 that the Bible teaches that. In Hebrews 1, we read that through him, through whom, God the Father made the world. In Colossians 1, we read this, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn or the preeminent one over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You know, when we read the New Testament, we should be informed by the Old Testament. And when we read the Old Testament, we should be informed by the New Testament because ultimately the whole Bible is authored by one person, the Holy Spirit of God. And so after you read John 1, you read Genesis 1 a little bit differently. And when you look at it, you see and understand that creation itself is the work of our triune God. Look at those verses with me. Genesis 1, we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light and there was light. Now certainly we see God the Father there when we read that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We also see the Spirit in verse 2 who was hovering over the face of the waters. But where do we see the sun? Well, John 1 calls Jesus the Word of God and says that it was through this Word of God that all things were created. Well, how does Genesis 1 say that God created the world? Right? What's the picture that it paints? Does it say that God went out back into his workshop and got some tools and he cobbled together the world? 
Does it say that God put up a canvas and he took his paintbrush and he painted the world? Does it say that God thought the world into existence? We're getting a little closer there. But no, the language that's used in Genesis 1 is the language of speech. John, as John says, the word. And here in Genesis 1, we read that God said, let there be light. Over and over in Genesis 1, we read that phrase, and God said, and God said, and God said, and it happened. And we read in Psalm 33, 6 as well, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. How did God create the world? He did it through his word. John 1 tells us that this word is a person named Jesus. All things have been created through him. All things means all things. It means even the smallest things in the universe, that even at the subatomic level, right, the, the neutrinos that, that make up the atoms, that make up everything in creation, that, that through the sun, all of that was created down to the, the smallest detail. But it also means that the large things were created, that everything was created, that, that even this entire universe that is filled with, now we know, billions of galaxies, and each galaxy is filled with billions of stars like our sun, that all of this, everything in creation, including you and me who were knit together in our mother's womb, was created by God through his word. And this Jesus our creator who made us and who made everything else is the one who came that first Christmas and was laid as a baby in the manger. It really boggles the imagination to think about that. So the word came, our creator came, and then in verse four, John tells us that when Jesus came, the life came. Look at verse four. In him was life. So in him, in this pre-existent word who was in the beginning, who was with God, who was God, through whom all things were made that was made in him, in this word, was life. And, and I think that primarily when John says that, that, that he's still thinking about that moment of creation, that, that through Jesus, it's not just the, the world, the inanimate world that came into existence, but all of life, the variety of life that we see in this world came into existence as well. That, that Jesus is the life giver from the very beginning. And our life, all life, is derived from his life. And not only do we get our beginning from him, but also, as it says in Hebrews, he sustains our life. That he's even right now upholding the worlds by the word of his power. And so the reason we have life to start with and the reason we continue to have life every moment of every day is because of this phrase right here. In him was life. But with that said, the word life means a lot more than just physical life in John's gospel. He uses the word life to speak about spiritual life, to speak about eternal life. And as we're going to talk about in just a moment, it's only in Jesus that we can find that life as well. Because in him, in him alone, is life. So when Jesus came, our life came. But then also John says, when Jesus came, the light came. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
Again, certainly that was true and continues to be true in creation. God said, let there be light, and there was light, and it's because of Jesus that there is light in this world. But when John says in verse 5 that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not comprehend it, he's moving beyond the point of physical light, and he's speaking about Jesus as a spiritual light, the Jesus who said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. In Matthew's gospel, he quotes from Isaiah and says that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy when he came. Look at these words. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. This is why everything changed in history when Jesus came into the world. Because the Word, the eternal Logos, who was with God and was God, came. Because our Creator came. Because the Creator entered into His creation. Because the one who is the life and the light of the world was born to us and laid in a manger. That cannot but change the world and history forever. But here's the second truth I want us to see with the time we have left, and it's so important. Not only does everything change in history, but friends, everything changes in your life when Jesus comes to you. We're not talking today about historical truths that are somewhere in the past that have nothing to do with our lives today. No, we're talking about truths today that have the power to transform your very life. It's not enough to just know that Jesus came into the world. We have to get a whole lot more personal than that. We each need to know whether or not Jesus has come to us. And when he does, everything changes in our lives. The truth is when we meet the word, we go from death to life. A few minutes ago, we talked about what it says there in verse 4. In him was Life, And we talked about how that phrase refers to the physical life that's created and sustained by the life that is Jesus. But as we said, that phrase points to a, a deeper reality that goes beyond our physical life and touches on our spiritual life. In fact, what the Bible teaches us is that until we meet Christ in a personal way, that none of us have spiritual life. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that when we're B.C., before we meet Christ, we're all spiritually dead because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God. And we don't like to, to really hear that, right? It, it, it offends our pride. And we like to, to think of ourselves as spiritual people. And you'll hear that terminology a lot today. But what we read in the Bible is that even though we might think of ourselves as spiritual people, the Bible says we're spiritually in a place of death because of our sin and because of rebellion against God until we meet the Son in a saving way, the one who is life. And when you do, what Jesus said in John chapter 5 will be true of you. Listen to these words. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, the Father, has everlasting, what? Life. And shall not come into judgment, but has passed, some translations say, has crossed over from death 
to life. When we meet the word who is Christ, we go from death to life. But also when we meet the word who is Christ, we go from living in the darkness to living in the light. Verse 4 says, in him was life, and that light was the light of men. Certainly, again, that's true at creation. It's also true in what theologians refer to as general revelation, the idea that God is even right now shining the light of who he is on all of us, whether we believe in God or not. Psalm 19 talks about that. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Romans 1 speaks about that, that when we look around us at creation, at that sunset that that was referred to earlier by Susie in her testimony, that we can see something of the attributes, of the characteristics of our God. He's shining his light. Romans 2 said he's shining his light inside of us because he's given us a conscience that knows the difference between right and wrong, and that conscience was given to us by God. And so again, whether you believe in God or not, right now his light is shining on you in that sense. But, but if you listen to the words of verse 5, I think that John is moving even a little bit beyond that. Because he says in verse 5, And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now there's a debate about that word comprehend as it's translated in my versions. Your version uh, might have the word overcome there, and that Greek word can be translated either way. And of course, both of those are true in the gospel, right? The light has come. He came into a dark world, a world that was arrayed against him, a world of darkness, and yet the darkness was not able to overcome the light who is Christ. But I think that in this context, the Translation, as it is here, comprehend or understand fits better. Because like it says in verse 11, not everyone who hears him will believe in him. Not everyone who sees him comes to him. It's possible today to see the light in a sense, but to not comprehend it, to not let it change your heart. It's possible to reject today the light that shines on you, but when we do receive that light, we are changed by it, and we're changed by it because finally we're brought to a place where we can spiritually see. And that's so important because the Bible teaches us that before we meet Christ, not only are we dead, but we're also in the dark because we cannot see spiritual truth. I remember the night uh, so well. I was uh, 16 years old, and I had just gotten my driver's license that day. And I was excited about it. That thing was burning a hole in my pocket. And I remember one of my friends, David Mole, came over, Pastor Jason's younger brother. And uh, my parents let me go out for a drive. It was nighttime. And uh, we got in our car. We were going to go down to Checkers. There used to be a Checkers there on 192. We were going to go down there, get something to eat, and then simply come home. That was the plan for the evening. My first time driving in the car without a learner's permit, without mom or dad or somebody else sitting in the seat beside me. And we were all excited. My heart was just, I was just so happy. I was driving in my sister's hand-me-down 1986 Pontiac Grand Am. She was a beauty. And we drove and, and, and went to Checkers, got some food. And then we turned back out onto the street and we're going down 192. And no sooner, I promise you, no sooner had we turned out onto 192 than I look behind me and I see lights. <laughs> Red and blue ones. 
and I hear a siren, and, 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 and my heart is just beating, and I pull over to the side of the street, and I think, this is, the, this is unbelievable. I've had my license for literally like two seconds, and it's about to be gone. What have I done? And the police officer walks up to the, to the window, and he, and he looks down at me, and he, and he says, son, what are you doing driving at 10 o'clock at night down the road with no headlights on? And I was so nervous. I said, sir, I didn't realize I was doing that. And thankfully, he had mercy on my soul, and he gave me a warning. And I lived to drive another day. But, but here is the question. Why? Why did he pull me over for that? Why, why did he care about that? Because it's dangerous to drive in the dark when you don't have any light. Friends, it's far more dangerous to go through your life in the dark because you don't have any light. It's not only dangerous, it's deadly. If you're in the light right now, then thank God that you are. Thank God that Jesus, the one whose life is your light, took you out of darkness and brought you into the light. This is what Peter tells us. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you might proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Friend, when Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. We go from death to life. We go from walking in the dark to walking in the light. And we become people who are able to do what that verse says, people who are able to proclaim the praises of the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We become people who are able to do what the man we read about in verse 6 did with his life. Look at that verse with me. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now, it's a little bit confusing, but this John is not the same John who wrote the book of John. And when you, know, when you open up a book that's called John, and in the sixth verse you read about a John... Probably you think it is the same person. But the John who wrote this book was one of the 12 disciples. He wrote four other books in our New Testament, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in the book of Revelation. But the John that he's speaking about in verse 6 is a different John, a John who is a member of our own denomination, right? John the Baptist, the one who was sent to announce the coming of Jesus into the world. And John the Baptist was an interesting guy, Unlike Baptists today who eat nothing but casseroles and drink nothing but grape juice, John the Baptist had a diet we read about in the Bible that consisted of locusts dipped in honey. I've always said I'm surely glad he dipped it in honey because you have to dip it in something. I'm pretty sure locusts don't go down well otherwise. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to bring John the Baptist a Chick-fil-A nugget dipped in honey mustard. That's what I'm going to do. And there will be Chick-fil-A in heaven. Can I get an amen from the people of God today? Amen. Hallelujah. John had an interesting diet. Uh, John wore interesting clothes. John lived in an interesting place, but John lived an interesting, extraordinary life. In verse 23, he quotes from Malachi chapter 3, a verse that was about himself. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, saying, make straight the way of the Lord. That's 
why John came. That's the sense in which he was sent by God, as it says in verse 6. It doesn't mean that he was an angel. It doesn't mean that he was a a perfect man. He was a fallen man, a sinful man who needed a savior just like you and me, but he had a unique role. He was sent with a particular mission to prepare the people of God for the coming of the Messiah. That's why we read in verse 7, this man came for a witness. To bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. That's what John's ministry was all about. And he acknowledges in verse 8, he wasn't the light. He wasn't the light himself. He wasn't confused about that. His role was to point people to the one who is the light. To the Christ, to the Messiah, to Jesus. And even though John's role and his ministry as the forerunner was unique, in many ways our role and what we're called to do now as children of the light is no different. If you know Christ, what are you called to do? You're called to bear witness of that. You're called to give a testimony of that, just like John did, of what Jesus has done in your life, to tell people that you're not the light, but you know the one who is, to point people to him. And Christian, if that's why we're here to be a witness, then who are you being a witness to this Christmas? Who are you asking God to reach down from heaven and bring them out of darkness and into the light? Who are you sharing with? Who are you inviting? Who are you loving? Who are you ministering to this Christmas season? Our job is to do like John the Baptist did, to tell people that Jesus is the light. I'm sure that at some point this week you saw at least a portion of one of the memorial services that was held for our 41st president, George H.W. Bush. Regardless of your political persuasion, it's important, I believe, to take time as a nation to honor those who have held the highest office in our land, and our country certainly did that this week. One of the most moving things about that was to see a man who was himself a president speak at the funeral of his father, who was a president. Actually, that's the first time that's ever happened in American history. And as you know, there was only one other set of father and son presidents, John Adams and John Quincy Adams, but it was a different day back then. And by the time that John Quincy Adams heard that his father had died, his father was already buried. He didn't have the opportunity to speak at his father's funeral. But this week, we got to watch one president speak about another who was his father. We have a picture, I believe, of, of that. And one of the moving things that George W. Bush said is he quoted one of his dad's most famous expressions, a thousand points of light. And he said this, he said, to us, to his children, dad was the brightest of a thousand points of light. A beautiful thing for a son, any son, to say about their father. What, what was he doing? He was, he was giving testimony that to him, his dad was a bright light. What is my point? My point is simply this. Are, are we doing that as Christians when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are we giving testimony? Are, are we speaking to the world from our firsthand experience that Jesus is the brightest of a thousand points of light? That in fact, he is light. That he is the light of the world, that you cannot find any other light, no matter where you might look. And are we spending our lives giving that testimony to the world around us? That's what John did. And church, that's what God has called us to do as well. 
this Christmas, to say we're not the light, but let me introduce you to the one who is. You know, you can't give that testimony that Jesus is the light until you've experienced the light, until you've met him in a personal way, and until he's moved you from the darkness to the light. You know, that first Christmas, again, it, it changed everything. Our, our calendars moved from B.C. to A.D. when he came. But, but the coming of Jesus won't change you personally until you have a personal encounter with him. And so really, here is the question. Are you still living B.C.? Or are you living A.D.? You see, for all of us, there was a time in our life when we were B.C., when we were before Christ. But since then, many in this room have come to know Jesus in a personal way. Your, your life and my life has been changed by his grace. And now we are living A.D., Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, because he has become our Lord and our Savior. But friend, what about you? Are you still living B.C., before Christ. And if you are, that can change today. Today, at this very moment, you can invite the Christ of Christmas to come into your life and to change you and forgive you and save you and take you out of darkness and take you into light. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we stand in awe today of your eternal wisdom, your eternal plan. Even before you created us, Father, you knew that we would sin against you, rebel against you. Even before the foundation of the world, your son Jesus was already slain. Plan was in place. that just at the right time, your son would enter into our world, into history, that he'd be born in Bethlehem, that he'd be laid in that manger, that he would grow up and live a perfect life and die for our sins and rise again. Father, would you help those of us in this room who know you to live this week as children of the light, And would you help us to bear witness, to give a testimony that we're not the light, but you are. And Father, I pray for anyone in this room who is still living B.C., that today they would come to live 80. And they would meet you in a personal way and be changed by your love. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 